Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Would you not agree that at the end of the day, our talk matters very little? It is, in fact, the way that we walk the talk that is truly important. As the old saying goes, actions speak louder than words. And not only that, actions have a way of showing forth our true selves, especially as it pertains to our place in the kingdom of God. Well, that's the subject of today's message, which is entitled Walking the Talk and is based on Jesus' parable of the two sons from Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. And by the way, this was recorded at our very first in-person service of worship in six months, and it was held outdoors and it was appropriately distanced. So what you're gonna hear here is definitely what we all heard during the service. Let me just say this up front. I could have been either one of those two sons. I actually remember a whole lot of times growing up when my father would ask me to do some chore or another. Raking leaves in the front yard, for instance, or stacking firewood in the garage at camp. And just like the second son in Jesus' parable, I would say, if not all together happily, at least somewhat willingly, sure, Dad, I'll do that. But somehow, I never did seem to do it or get the job done. There was always something I needed to do first. Always something I wanted to be doing rather than the job I was supposed to be doing. And the best part of all is I always had a perfectly reasonable, well thought out reason for not doing the job I had been given. Had a chance to hang out with my friends. This could wait. Or it was uh, looking a little bit like rain. There's no sense of getting started if I'm just going to get rained out and get soaked. Or, and thinking back, this is a true story, and this excuse has always remained my personal favorite. It's only October, and all the leaves haven't fallen off the trees yet. So why even bother to rake up the leaves when just more are going to fall, and I'm going to have to do it all over again? Well, suffice to say, in my callow youth, I was the very model of that second son who tells his father, I go, sir, out into that vineyard, but did not go. On the other hand, however, I can also recall a few times when I cussed and moaned pretty much without season over some chore or another to the point where I had pretty much refused to cooperate because it wasn't fair. Because None of the other kids were subjected to this kind of hard labor. This is my day off. Why should I have to do this? So just like the first son of the parable, I said, I will not. But then, for whatever reason, be it wanting to please my parents or to not be grounded within an inch of my life, I changed my mind. And I did the job I was asked to do. Like I said before, Maybe it's true for you, too. I could have been either one of those two sons in Jesus' parable. But which of these two responses do you think pleased my parents the most? 
ignoring for the moment that they probably would have been the happiest if I just said yes and did the job in the first place. Certainly, it was when I, to borrow a phrase from uh, another parable, that of the prodigal son, when I came to myself and went to do the job that I had previously refused to do, maybe having learned a lesson or two along the way. At the end of the day, you see, friends, our talk matters very little. It is the way that we walk the talk that is truly important. As the old saying goes, actions speak louder than words. But not only that, actions have a way of showing forth our true selves, don't they? Especially as it pertains to our place in the kingdom of God. Well, our text for this morning that Cindy just shared with us comes from Matthew's Gospel and is set just after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and just a few days before his crucifixion on Good Friday. So already, as you read this, you've got to know that there is, in, there is an inevitability about the events that are unfolding. In fact, as the Reverend Nikki Hardiman of McAfee School of Theology has written, as we pick up the reading today, emotions are high, the politics are tense, and Jesus has a sense of the danger his life is in. And, Hardiman goes on to say, we also see Jesus laying all of his chips on the table and not holding back at all in his teaching. Okay, that sets the stage. So with all of this in mind, now we have the chief priests and the elders of the people coming to Jesus in the temple to challenge him regarding the authority by which he can teach the way he does. It is, of course, the classic gotcha question, isn't it? Uh, if, they reason, Jesus answers in defiance of their authority as priests and elders, he could easily be accused of blasphemy. But, on the other hand, if Jesus answers in deference to those religious leaders, essentially walking back those revolutionary teachings that had gotten uh, the, the temple leaders all upset in the first place, he would, in fact, lose credibility with the people. Either way, as far as the scribes and Pharisees were concerned, this was going to be a win-win for them. Jesus, however, was not about to get caught in that kind of trap. And, and so, as was very typical of Jesus, and as we see quite often in the Gospels, Jesus answered the elder's question with a question of his own. This one having to do with the baptism of John. And this was a question that the temple leadership had no intention of addressing for much the same reason that Jesus wasn't going to answer them. They would just get caught in a trap. So what we have here now is a standoff. And it's in the midst of this long and very awkward silence that Jesus shares the aforementioned parable about those two sons and their different responses to doing the will of their father. And what becomes immediately clear is that there is much more going on in this story than the comparative work ethic of the vineyard owner's two sons. What Jesus is doing here, you see, quite succinctly, really, 
is he's calling out these righteous uprights who claim to and who may even appear to be following God, but who in truth and fact do not. Calling them out while at the same time putting forth the notion that perhaps there are those who by their reckoning aren't doing the will of the Father, so to speak, but are in fact doing in every way they are able the will of God. In fact, Jesus goes on to say to this very silent group of priests and elders, words that must have cut like a knife. Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to go into the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now, by the way, just to give you some background on that, that was a statement not only shocking in and of itself, it's shocking to us even now. But also, you've got to understand, this was a statement rife with the politics of the time. Because what Jesus was saying was that even those who were collaborators with the Roman government, which a lot of the tax collectors were of that time, as well as those who, who had sold out their very faith to other religions and other nations, something that in the parlance of ancient Israel was regarded as akin to prostitution, they would be more qualified for God's kingdom than even the priests and the elders, the ones considered to be among the greatest adherents of the law and the prophets. In other words, says Jesus, what you all say about faith and law and authority means nothing at all unless it actually is practice. Unless you are walking the talk of righteousness and faith, all these other so-called sinners are going to get into the kingdom way ahead of you. This text offers up the perfect denouement of how Palm Sunday became Good Friday. And it's also a great illustration of the hypocrisy of the religious establishment of Jesus' time. What's interesting, though, is that this parable of Jesus also has this amazing way of speaking to our own attitudes of what constitutes true faith and by extension the status of our own access to the kingdom to put a finer point on it folks how easy is it that we can become a tad oh shall we say judgmental as to those who may or may not be as faithful in their walk or who are doing God's work in their lives. Now don't think this doesn't happen. We read this stuff in scripture and we say, oh, that was them, that was a, uh, uh, an issue of their time. But don't think that doesn't happen today. After all, and I think you'll agree with me here, we are currently living in a day when people regularly make judgments as to the character of others based solely on their differing point of view particularly in politics. So why wouldn't that happen as a response to matters of religion and faith? I hadn't thought about this in years, but as I was uh, working on this message, I'm remembering an instance years ago when I was still a very young pastor serving on an ecumenical planning board charged with creating a charter for a Christian-based community youth center in that town. But I gotta tell you something, it was a job that was never completed. And the reason why is that there were some on this planning board who refused to sign on because they argued that there were other people 
and other churches in the community who were not Christian enough to be a part of the outreach. This went on for weeks, months, and guess what happened? The project fell apart and never happened in the midst of all that arguing. So yes, it, it is tempting to dismissing to dismiss those who don't we don't think are doing the will of God. Maybe their theology is different from ours. Maybe the choices that these people have made in their lives don't scream capital G good church people. Maybe we struggle with their points of view on some issues, or maybe it's just because they are different from us. And so what do we do? We cast them in the mold of the second son, the one who was quick to cut and run on anything we consider to be true about faith. What we do, you see, and I want to quote Nikki Hardiman once again, is, quote, to judge based on what we see when what we see is a very small part of the picture. And what makes this all the more ironic is that at the same time we're apt not to recognize that there are a good many believers out there, maybe even a few of us, who are more like the first son than we'd like to admit. People who seem, by all appearances, to do everything right, but whose faith ends up being shallow at best. And here's Jesus who's asking us now, who do you think is doing God's will? The one who's saying, Lord, Lord, yes, yes, sure, sure, only to fall away at the first sign of anything, or the one who's been struggling to live up to what they should be and how they should live, and ends up in that process with a deeper and more sincere faith than anyone thought possible. Well, Jesus has the answer. And it's the same answer that the temple leadership was given. It's the one who said no and then relented in doing God's will. It's the one who understood on some level, and this is a quote from David Lowe's, that each moment is pregnant with the possibility of receiving God's grace, repenting of things that we've done or were done to us, returning to a right relationship with God and those around us, and truly receiving the future as open rather than determined. And then doing everything possible to opening themselves to the kingdom and to everything that God has to offer. And what does this mean for you and for me in this very strange and uncertain and divisive time of 2020? Well, first off, folks, it is a very potent reminder to you and to me to, as the kids say, not to be so judgy. <laughs> because God's grace is amazing. And it extends to each and every one of his children with the gift of acceptance and love and forgiveness that are the hallmarks of the kingdom Jesus proclaims. Regardless of how we might perceive their motivations, their experience, or their worthiness. In other words, be careful, brothers and sisters, and judge not. So there's that. But I also think there's something else about this passage, something that we need to remember, 
And it's that Jesus knows that we struggle at times with doing the will of the Father as it regards living up to what we profess to believe in faith. Most especially, would you not agree right now? I dare say that there have been very few of us who at some point over the last six months has not wondered aloud how anyone, anyone could possibly live in love and with true Christian faith in times such as these. And who hasn't thought, however fleetingly, that perhaps since the world is going to heck in a handbasket anyway, maybe we just need to cut and run and just do whatever we can to get by. Bottom line is that the Lord knows what we're going through. The Lord knows the loneliness we have felt. Lord knows the confusion and the uncertainty of each and every day and of the decisions we have had to make. The Lord knows what it is we're going through in this strange and uncertain and divisive time. But the Lord is also, even amidst the current struggles, calling us to embrace his grace and walk the talk and to return to the vineyard of God's kingdom in our midst. Wherever we are, however our days are unfolding right now, whatever the jobs and tasks and chores that are before us, we, in the midst of all of it, are being called to do God's work in this time and in this place, in our own time and in our own setting. And by that work that we are called to do, our faith will be made stronger. That's the promise. Beloved, may you and I answer the call today. And as we do, may our thanks be to God. Amen. And complete with bird song and motorcycle roar, that's the message we've entitled Walking the Talk. And it was recorded for our September 27th outdoor worship service at East Church in Concord, New Hampshire. And since we likely won't be returning to in-person services of worship for the time being, we'd invite you to join us for online services each and every Sunday at 10 o'clock via Facebook Live on our East Church Facebook page. We're finding a lot of value in coming together this way in these days, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. And with that, we're at the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.